Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. It is my great joy to be with you all. As some of you know, we, our family spent a few weeks in, more than a few weeks, in quarantine. And uh, I just i am so grateful to be in the land of the living. And uh, it, it feels really good to be seen, not like in a vain sort of way, but just <laughs> I'm grateful for each of you. So uh, today uh, I'm going to tell you just a, a short little story about what I would like to do and then and then we'll do it. So, as some of you know, I have a friend whose name is Ray Aldred. Ray is an indigenous pastor and theologian, um, and he has preached with us several times during our COVID quarantine Zoom church uh, time over these past few years. Um, And Ray also came and led a church retreat for us the year before COVID began. So, I always love asking Ray to preach. And I remember the last time I talked with him about it and was asking if there was anything particular that he wanted to talk about or, you know, that we were open to whatever. And, and he said to me, well, I think I'd just like to take the lectionary text for the day and, and just riff on them, if that's okay. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that sounds great. So, um, and Ray always insists that we should riff on the gospel uh, because the gospel is where we find life. And so in my friend Ray Aldred uh, fashion, I'm going to riff on the various texts from today, especially on the gospel. And I also, I, I should also qualify that I'm also going to riff a bit on Ray because I've learned a lot of things from him, so you'll hear him come up a few times. So, my friends, when we hear the gospel text from Luke today, uh, in concert with the other texts from the lectionary, there are a few things that emerge that I think are worth our considered attention. The way I see it, Luke's section of the gospel frames a few themes for us to consider. And the first of these is the theme of warning and judgment. Warning and judgment. Now, you may hear one or both of these words with a lot of baggage, probably just one of them. So let me spend a few minutes unpacking these words. I think that we often mistake the word warning for the word threat. So a threat is conveyed with a you better, and then fill in the blank, or else, and fill in the blank, right? Threats are coercive. The scriptures are not full of threats, but the scriptures are full of warnings. Now, parents know about warnings. They also know about threats, too, but usually not at their best moments. A warning is an indicator of a cause and effect relationship. So, say for example that uh, I was walking along a stream bed with my children. I may warn them. 
be careful on the wet rocks near the water because they might be slimy and if you step on them, you could fall in. So, and in, in my best moments, um, I speak about this cause and effect relationship that I see and if it's not too severe, I try to let them learn from their experience, right? So I warn them and then they get the experience of living. And if they fall in, then their shoes are wet or whatever. As another example, um, we talk a lot in our family about respect. And I often warn my children about cultivating habits of disrespect. This warning is deeper than, you'd better not treat me like that or else. It highlights, um, this warning highlights that, oh, Sorry, this highlights that warnings are not primarily about self-protection, which would be to say, I don't like being treated that way. Now, disrespect, I don't like being treated that way. But um, when I warn my children about it, it's not just because I don't like it. So the warning is to say, it will not go well with you if you cultivate a disrespectful way of relating to other people. And couched in this warning might be a conversation about how disrespect makes other people feel, what it communicates. In our home, we talk about how disrespect could be um, basically like communicating to someone that they are garbage or can be treated like garbage. And this has repercussions, not just for the person that I disrespect, but also for me. If I go around treating people like they're garbage, I may end up without friends. I might do a lot of harm. Positively, though, disrespect is the opposite of the kind of person that I'm called to be. I'm called to be someone who gives life. Treating people with respect is one way that I am a life giver in the world. So, do you hear the difference between threats and warnings? Because warnings are about something deeper. Threats are just like, Coercive violence, don't do that or else. But warnings are like, I'm seeing further than the one that I'm warning. And I'm looking at cause and effect relationships. I'm saying, that's a dangerous road that you're on. God warns us often. And God's warnings are related to God's judgment. I would contend that God's judgment is the giving over of people to their choices and desires. And my friends, the older I get, it's hard to think of something. I can think of a few things, but there are not many things that are more terrifying than to think God might actually give me over to what I want and what I choose. But we see this clearly in Romans 1, where God's wrath is identified as God giving people over to their sinful desires. But here's the thing. God's judgment is always aimed at our healing. I think that God gives us the dignity of turning to God on our own. As a friend of mine once said, God gives us the dignity of finding our own bottom. <laughs> Which, you know, if you, if you want to plumb the depths, like, God won't stop you along the way 
Because it is often at the bottom that we turn to God of our own volition. And I think there is an immense dignity that is conferred on us in that arrangement. Our dignity matters so much to God. As a human parent, I may enact some immediate consequences for my children when I see them making choices that lead to dangerous places. But the older they get, the more complicated it becomes. This is the dilemma that every parent knows. How do I help my children walk in a good way that leads to life? The older they get, the less that coercion and violence work, right? <laughs> so how do we do that? The good news is that while my navigating of these questions is imperfect because I'm human, God's judgment is perfect and is always aimed at our healing, always. So this is what I think we are meant to hear in Jesus' words from our gospel text today, repent or perish. Or as the, the First Nations version of the Bible puts it, it's an indigenous translation, it says this, if you, the people of village of peace, Jerusalem, do not change your ways of thinking and take a new path, you will all die in the same way. Now, as a just really brief aside, I'm not going to go very far on this, but when we hear words like perish and judgment, I think oftentimes we do jump immediately to this idea of hell, right? So we think that the gospel is often trying to talk about, like, so this warning is, you better get on a good road or you're going to spend an eternity in conscious torment, right? I mean, that's, that's how we've talked about hell. And I would urge you to reconsider that view of what <laughs> divine judgment is. Um, I've heard it said that many, many Christians in America... Um, wouldn't be Christians if they weren't afraid of hell. Think about what that says about the character of God. So if the only reason that you follow Jesus is because you're afraid, you need to hear the gospel again because you haven't heard it. So um, if you would like to investigate some of those questions more, I have some great books that I could recommend. I won't go further, but that's just a little aside. I don't think Jesus is trying to talk us, to us in the text today about hell. He's just saying um, perishing, death, is the end of the road that sin marks out for us. So if we follow the way of sin, we end up at death. And we can see that in a hundred ways, but even our world right now, our environment is groaning under the weight of the choices that we have made that are leading to death. Uh, our world now sits under the existential crisis of nuclear weapons, right? These are roads that we have walked that will end in death. And Jesus is warning us. So we've, I think I've said enough about warning and judgment. Which brings us to repentance. We're in the season of Lent, so it is natural to talk about repentance, but what does this mean? 
It's my friend Ray Aldred. Um, once described Lent as a time when everybody feels bad and looks at their shoes for 40 days. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I hope not. Uh, is that what Lent is about? I hope not. So, we live in a world that hurts people. We ourselves have been harmed, and we have harmed others. When we are wounded, our hearts shut down. For some of us, our wounds are small, and maybe, so maybe our hearts have only shut down in small ways. But for others of us, our wounds are really big, and our hearts have shut down in really big ways. Now, the reason that I bring Ray Aldred into this conversation is because as an indigenous man and pastor, he lives among a people that are the most severely oppressed and harmed of any population in our country. Indigenous people are at the bottom of the bottom in every way uh, in our society. And that means that indigenous communities have suffered so much harm and trauma. And so when we think about harm and trauma, I find that I have deep trust for somebody who is speaking from under the belly of the empire that we live in. He has good words for us. So, Ray frames repentance with this question. What would it look like? What would it look like if you began to love with your whole heart? Repentance is a gift. It's when we turn back to life, right? We're not asking, I'm not saying <laughs> it's God's idea of repentance is for you to feel bad and look at your shoes or gaze at your belly button, right? Repentance is about turning back to life. And one of the ways that we address that is by asking the question, what would it look like for me to love with my whole heart? Can you imagine parts of your heart right now that are shut down or, or closed off that no longer respond to either God or to your neighbor? What would it look like for you to love with your whole heart? In the gospel, we find the truth that God loves the world. He loves the land. He loves the people. And not only does God love you and me, but God likes you, and he likes me. And both of those things are really important, because sometimes I think we can affirm in, in our sort of innermost spaces, yeah, I think God might love me, but I don't think he really likes me. And Jesus is the one who has revealed the very heart of God to us, and in Jesus, we find that God both loves us and he likes us. And this, my friends, I think is, is the place of our most profound healing. Once we have grasped this reality, we can say with the New Testament, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's a kind of buoyancy 
and wellness that happens when we finally realize in the deepest places that God loves us and he likes us just as we are. Now Ray's encounter with the risen Jesus healed decades of self-hatred and liberated him to love people for their good. And when I say self-hatred, what I mean is that in oppressive societies, people who live on the margins eventually imbibe the message that they are bad. And that's not their fault, but this is true of any kind of trauma. We can become imprisoned within a trauma that is done to us, even if we had no say in it, even if we didn't want it. We can become imprisoned in that lie. And so I've heard Ray speak very personally about encountering Jesus and for the first time realizing that God loves me and he likes me. <laughs> now Ray has been a pastor and a theologian for many years and he, he says, I used to pray for people to get healed, but my prayers were basically that they would get better so that they would stop bothering me. Can you relate to that? I can't relate to that. He said, once I knew that Jesus loved me and he liked me, my prayers changed. So now I pray for people to know this love of God that heals for their sake and not to save me any inconvenience. I just want people to know the love of God. So repentance, this turning to God, which is a gift, is an invitation to turn to life. And the question is, what would it look like for us to love with our whole hearts? Which leads me to the final theme that I would like to talk about this morning, the theme of fruitfulness. And we hear that in the parable that Jesus tells about the vineyard and the fig tree. So he sets up this story with uh, uh, an owner who comes year after year in this fig tree is not producing any fruit. And so, I guess what I hear in that is that there is this invitation, and just to be clear, the scriptures equate Israel with both fig trees and vineyards all over the place. And so this parable is about more than a tree, right? It's about the people of God who are not fruitful, who are not bearing fruit. And, uh, I'm going to read to you just a, a, a bit of um, the book of Revelation. So I've been uh, talking about this a lot because I've been studying it recently. And there's this really profound bit at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 19. So you're welcome to look there if you want. Oh, man, this Bible does not look like mine. <laughs> oh, here it is. Okay. Um, so in this section where, so this is at the very end, after, after Babylon, uh, which represents Rome, which represents empires, is fallen. Um, this is what it says. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, interesting, right? At the very culmination of uh, what God is doing in the world, we have a marriage. And it's a marriage between Christ and his bride, the people of God, right? And what, what is described as this um, fine linen that the, the bride is wearing is what? It's not, you know, faith versus works. It's, it's righteous deeds. Does that mess with your theology a little bit? I'm poking, I'm poking on purpose. Um, but see, the thing is that this union, and I think that this points us forward to what God's intention has always been, which is union with Christ. And that's been described in different church traditions in different language. But union with Christ is not about uh, this sort of legal verdict that sort of hangs out somewhere over my head that says guilty, and now something happens, and now there's this legal verdict that says not guilty. Like, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about uniting us to the life of Jesus, and it's about our real lives, not just about some abstracted legal or not uh, guilty or not guilty verdict. It's about our lives, and our lives are meant to be lived in union with Christ. And when we live a life in union with Christ, part of what comes along with that is good works, good deeds. They flow out of the union with Jesus. And another way that we talk about this all the time in our community is that we are a people of hospitality, restoration, and what's the third one? Shalom. The word shalom is about wholeness, Wellness. It's about making things uh, right or in, in harmony. There's actually an indigenous theologian that's written a great book called Shalom and the Community of Creation. And his whole point is that the idea of shalom is actually this really, really similar to the indigenous idea of harmony. We live in a world of interconnected relationships. And we're, we're finding that out now as we wrestle with what's happening to our environment. But... We live in a world where everything is interconnected. And so to be people of shalom means we tend to all those relationships. And we don't do that just to be activists. We do that because that is our call as the people of God. That is God's vision of the world as it will be, is one of wholeness and healing and shalom. And so when we think about fruitfulness, I want to just say to you as the people of God, fruitfulness is a part of what it means to belong to Jesus. Our lives in this world ought to be bringing about shalom. And so that might mean that we need to pay more careful attention to the indigenous people that, that originally lived on this land and who exist in a very, very small um, community that is a remnant of leftover from what we have done as Euro-colonial powers. Um, it might mean that we need to tend more carefully to 
the enslaved Africans that we brought from Africa generations ago and for the, the ways that so many people live under the belly of the empire in crucifying realities that we create, right? Or at least I should say that the dominant sort of Euro-American society creates. We create crucifying realities that are counter to the way of Jesus. And our lives are meant to bring about shalom in our world. So my friends, hear this word of Jesus. There is a warning in it, right? The, the, the landowner comes looking for fruit. And if it won't produce fruit, he says, cut it down. That is not throw it into hell, but there will be some form of judgment and removal for the people who refuse fruitfulness. And it's not, not to say work harder, but work, live with Jesus in such a way as brings about shalom. So, amen to that? Amen. I think I've said enough. So, will you pause now with me and let us pray together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.